This presentation is from Design Leadership 2020. Our next talk this afternoon comes from Chitana, who's the Director of Product Design at Coursera. Um, Chitana will be talking to us about leading growth-driven design. And awesome. Thank you so much. So I will jump right in. Uh, hello, everyone. Good afternoon to those of you who are in Sydney. And I would say a good evening or maybe even a good night for those of you who are in other parts of the world. Thank you for joining me. The webinar has been so immersive and so amazing for all of the day today for you all and most of the afternoon, evening and night for me. And we have conquered this remoteness thanks to the amazing organization and facilitation by Annabelle and the entire team at UX Australia. Typically this talk is a longer uh, thematic content that I go through, but hopefully I've managed to condense it a little bit today. And some of the topics I intend to cover is a little bit about the history of product-led growth, because it's a relatively newer discipline within product design, specifically the role of human-centered design and how it can enable uh, product-led growth. And then given we are talking about leadership today, what are some of the levers I have learned in my career in order to create sustainable growth and build growth teams? I'm not gonna be covering details around the practice of growth design, experimentation tools and techniques. That could be a talk in and of itself. Chaitana is my name with the three syllables. It can get a bit tricky. And phonetically, this is how it's written. Uh, it's a Hindi name. I grew up in India and I've been in the San Francisco Bay Area for 20 years now. It is around 11 p.m. here and I am still stoked uh, to see the magic of this bridging the gaps across oceans and seas. So thank you for this opportunity. Currently, I am leading design at Coursera, which is an online education organization here in the Silicon Valley. And my role is leading design for the growth and consumer initiatives at Coursera. I'm often asked this question. So Chaitana, what does it mean to be uh, design director on growth, or should I pursue a career in growth? And I've only been able to answer this question by reflecting back on my own career and connecting the dots backward. By no means I plan my career knowing where it's gonna land in terms of even sharing this talk with you all today, but I'd just like to share with you all how this came to be. So my first seven years at Yahoo is where I feel I grew up. One of the initiatives I led at Yahoo was product marketing design. Many of us in the audience are aware of growth in terms of marketing, advertising, brand. When I moved to Script, which is more recently, I was brought in there as VP of design, brand, and research. And growth was, let's say, 40% of my team's focus because Script did have an MVP problem. It's a digital reading subscription app here in the San Francisco downtown area. And while we did do a pretty heavy lifting, rebranding, repositioning of the product, we still had a leaky bucket problem. And so growth as an initiative became critical. And then from Scribd, I started questioning myself, what is it that I'm missing in terms of leadership challenge, in terms of really getting deeper into understanding the power of growth and the relationship with product design. 
And lo and behold, that is when the opportunity at Netflix came my way. And I was brought in there as design director for global acquisition and growth. The graphic that you see at the bottom were the five different business areas my team was responsible for. Audience growth, sign up, which is everything from registration, payments, types of methods of payments, partnerships with other vendors, and then onboarding or new member experiences. And then of course, this core product team also partnered with a whole bunch of cross-functional stakeholders. So as you can see, the journey from Yahoo to Script to Netflix happened quite organically. My roots are in graphic design, so I've had that aesthetic connection all through, but I've certainly grown in my understanding of the business uh, side of what we do as problem solvers. So with that, I'd like to take a moment and just pause and think about this word growth. Uh, I was thinking earlier today that Zoe's talk this morning and my talk later at this end of the day could pretty much be bookends, uh, given the amazing job she did this morning in setting the context for the kind of responsibility we have as designers and especially when we're solving for growth. So I'd like for you all to take a moment in chat and just share what are some of the words that come to your mind when you see this word growth as it relates to businesses and customers. I'll look at the chat uh, notes pretty much towards the end of the talk, so bear with me. So when it comes to growth in terms of um, businesses and product, it really has encompassed all of these aspects from conversion, revenue, customer experiences, growth engineering, growth hacking, acquisition, activation, all of these terminologies, at least in the San Francisco Bay Area and the Silicon Valley have been very prevalent. And many of these also are the principles for product-led growth, which is what the focus of the talk is today, where we basically say that product-led growth allows to connect the value of a product to what the customer needs directly through the product experience, as opposed to relying on marketing, branding, or advertising. That doesn't mean that they are mutually exclusive, but it, it does mean that in its simplest form, the product experience itself is the seller of the uh, subscription or the monetization. Now you might wonder, how is Chetana talking about growth uh, and business growth in the current times with the current situation the world is in? As I was researching for this version of the talk, I found this interesting graph created by Visual Capitalist, where you can see the top 10 fast growing e-commerce categories as of March, 2020. And by no surprise, there is an uptick in online grocery apps. There is more emphasis on services that can bring healthcare to your home. There is more emphasis on cooking at home. And at the same time, there is the declining e-commerce categories, everything that were lifestyle products and experiences that were related to travel, or being outdoor is obviously facing a hit. So product-led growth is a go-to marketing strategy that leverages the products that are sorely meeting the customer's need at that moment in time. I have found it important to therefore simplify and bring this to its essence in terms of 
what exactly is the role of a design leader or a designer in solving growth problems? And I think of it as growth is about connecting you and me, our customers, to the value of the product, giving our customers the reasons to believe in what it is that we are selling them. A very interesting graph that credited to Dave McClure, one of the early sort of names in the uh, growth hacking, product-led growth initiatives in the Valley, in the Silicon Valley, is this uh, funnel, which is a good way to look at how product-led growth works across key motivations and metrics, especially when you're a startup, familiar with this, and different metrics associated with it. From a designer's point of view, I find it really useful to map these to simple questions that are customer-centric. So how might you acquire or find your users and get to know them? How will their first experience be in terms of activating their interest? Will they come back to your product experience? Are you able to retain them with a hook? What is gonna be your monetization model? And then most importantly, does your product have the engagement and the reason for people to come back to it again and again? So this is just another way to think about the growth funnel in terms of the customer motivations and the customer needs. Taking everyone back a few years in time, this notion of growth hacking and product-led growth came to be around 2009. And the practice started initially with product marketing and engineering as the functions that were integral to solving growth problems. Design really did not have a seat at the table at that time. And therefore it was really known as growth hacking. Facebook is credited with doing some of the most innovative and risk worthy experiments to grow their user base. However, today in 2020, if, or even in 2019, if you were to do a search on individual contributor as well as leadership roles in growth design, you will see a lot of uptick in this particular discipline. And what this tells us is that today, design does have a seat at the table. And my question is, what are we gonna do with this seat? And many of the talks earlier today have done an amazing job answering this question in many different ways. The lens we are looking at in this talk is what is the role design is gonna play in terms of product-led growth and in terms of being a core competency for businesses out there. It's also very interesting to note that more and more women are playing a role in leading design for growth. So with that, I'd like to jump into a case study, hopefully an interesting anecdotal story for you all in terms of how human-centered approach to design helped my team at Netflix solve for what we call the big bet. So if I could get a show of hand and you could just type the alphabets NFLX, for those of you who are Netflix subscribers and have not logged out of Netflix for weeks and months possibly. So it's interesting how for most of us, us who might be uh, binge watching or uh, always logged into the Netflix experience, it's unlikely you'd be seeing the logged out homepage, which is what this image here is. And I ended with the uh, tested results. 
And what I want to call out here is the primary call to action for this lockdown homepage is, is watch free for 30 days. And this did very well for Netflix when it launched as a global product in 2014. Netflix has been historically known to be a single product, single code base, and a single team headquartered in California. However, in order to capture the audiences in markets like APAC, which included Japan, Korea, and India, the same one-size-fit-all solution was not going to work. What I mean by that is most of us in the audience, I can say, love free trials. Most of us. I will walk you through a scenario where that begins to change. As part of a seven-week design and research-led immersion, where a team of a product manager, designer, design prototyper, a pretty seasoned and experienced researcher, uh, we were in Tokyo and then later on in India to lead this particular problem statement. How would Netflix launch itself in Japan if it had to do it for the first time? And so we went with the assumption, oh, everybody loves free trials. And I'd like you to meet with Sumiko, my customer in Tokyo, who, when we proposed to her about the value proposition of free trial, her question was, well, if it's free, then it may not be that good. The culture in Tokyo for the Japanese mind is such that they will be willing to pay the premium price for a premium product. For Rohini, who was my customer in India, her skepticism was, if it's a free trial, why do you need my credit card? India is not a culture that is comfortable with giving their credit card online. In fact, it is still a very cash-based economy. For Jose in Buenos Aires, where Netflix actually is doing pretty well, primarily because the content that Netflix has is relevant to this market, had no issues with free trial or paid subscription because he had a new solution. He would just share his account with friends and family and it would be fine. And coming back to those countries which are mostly English speaking, Canada, Northern America, England, or maybe even Australia, we had Paul who was very comfortable with the notion of free trial, was aware that he could cancel within 30 days and had no issues with the value proposition. We had pretty much designed the experience for only Paul, but we were trying to grow our user base with Sumiko, Rohini, and Jose. It became clear to my team that in order for us to come away with measurable outcome, in order for us to win the hearts and minds of these customers, we needed to meet them where they were. The growth team did need to have a growth strategy that was unique to the APAC market, even if the core product experience would be more or less the same. For those of us who have worked on iterative growth experiments, we are very familiar with optimi optimization tactics like taking a call to action button, working on different labels for the copy, working on different colors, working on different hierarchy for the call to action button. These tests are certainly low hanging fruits. And of course at Netflix with a robust testing infrastructure, we were able to try a lot of these tactics. However, even though we would move the needle incrementally, we were not able to understand why things were changing and what would still be the winning solution to conquer the markets in the APAC countries. 
with the seven-week immersion that was research and design-led, the team came away with a whole new set of problem statements that helped reframe the roadmap for the GROW team for 2019-2020. And these also became the food for thought in terms of us defining our new hypotheses and then coming up with how we were going to address those hypotheses. I obviously cannot go through each of these five problem statements. The one that I walked us through was about the free value proposition, because as someone who has been through so many different cultural uh, influences, I found that very interesting. So of all the hypotheses that the team worked on, the logged homepage is one that we tested. We did do a lot of generative and qualitative research in market in Tokyo, and then based on the learnings from the qualitative research, we launched an A-B test. The design that you're seeing here is what was the uh, variant that became the winning uh, experiment. And so if you were to log out of Netflix today, you're most likely going to see this design. And the changes here are, it still has a primary call to action, watch free in 30 days, but we do have a very explicit graphic that tells the customer what they should expect in terms of free 30 days. We also worked with the email marketing team that would send an email three days prior to their billing cycle as a reminder, which built a lot of trust for the audiences in Japan, Korea, and India. And then we also realized that our logged out homepage was completely missing any information around the types of content you could watch on Netflix. So these were some of the improvements that happened. I just want to show one of the artifacts and kudos to the talk right before me where we spoke about the value of storytelling. And this was one of the artifacts that uh, the team introduced, which is storyboarding, mapping the customer scenario for growth strategies. Apologies for all the uh, whitening out here because for proprietary reasons, I don't necessarily want you to read the script. Sorry about that, but the artifact is really taking the day in the life of a Netflix customer and walking through the touch points where the growth strategy would make sense in terms of the overall roadmap that we were trying to communicate. Artifacts of this nature are very useful in bringing conviction and connecting the way in which we want to solve the problem with non-design stakeholders, especially in the executive leadership realm. So with this case study and with a little bit of around the history of um, product-led growth, I just want to recap sort of the role that design plays in a cross-functional team because we don't work in isolation. I think of it as if product is defining the what, it's defining the success metrics, it's defining the business goals, and engineering is defining the how we build the product, the feasibility, design is uniquely positioned to question the why. Sometimes design might even question why not. And we do work in close partnership with business, qualitative research, data analytics, content strategy, QA, but all of these are humming along towards customer motivation as that single point of vision. So this is where I feel a human-centered approach to design, even if you're solving something like growth, which is considered to be very uh, black and white, very numbers driven, very metric driven, does have a balance in terms of rooting its strategy in the customer motivation. Moving on to 
the sort of third part of my conversation today, which is as a design leader, what has it taken me to build growth teams and to have growth teams that can focus on sustained growth solutions as opposed to incremental wins that raise the numbers, bring us subscribers, make us more money, but then they exit with that same speed. In the longer version of this talk, there are a bunch of levers I talk about, but today I have pulled out three that I hope will be relevant. Um, especially knowing that design has a seat at the table today, how are we going to leverage that? So first and foremost, which should be pretty obvious now with almost the second last talk of the day, is how can growth design leaders build a trust around the UX design process, especially for non-design stakeholders. And when I talk about the UX design process, I'm really talking about things that we are, most of us here are familiar with, knowing your customer, defining the core problem, aligning on the problem statement, creating a vision, iterating and launching. The boxes in yellow here are what would be true even if you were creating the core product experience and not just the growth experience. The boxes in green are the ones I wanna highlight that are quintessential to someone who is coming in as a designer on a growth team. I really look for the ability to think in terms of hypotheses, the ability to create a bunch of design variants as opposed to a single solution, the willingness to test and learn from these design variants and the importance for a growth design leader to find a way in which cross-functional teams can stay aligned. Because here's the truth, growth design teams need to be able to work with brand, marketing, SEO, and customer support, not to mention if it's a global company, there's also the localization managing team. Related to the UX design process, a question I'm often answer, asked is, so Chetana, what is the difference between building a product versus growing a product? I would have never considered this question on my own because I guess I've been in it for too long, but I'd love to share with you a snapshot of how I have sort of compared and contrasted this. Building the product is about designing the product across the product experience and looking at the core uh, feature sets, growing the product requires the team to focus on the impact areas primarily. Building the product defines the product value in and of itself. Growing the product is about connecting that value to the end users. Teams that are building the product can really focus on shipping to launch. They focus on completion, perfection, but a growth team is very okay with shipping to learn being scrappy, being iterative, and being okay to fail. Building the product, as we all know, we often call them as minimally viable. I have come to realize that a growth team really needs to focus on the maximum lovability for the growth experiences that they're launching. So these are some of the uh, sort of processes I'm looking at in terms of the UX design uh, process for creating the core experience versus the growth experience. Another acumen, sorry, another um, leverage in terms of uh, your role as a design leader on growth is understanding the acumen for growth. 
we've had a lot of conversations in the day to day about a growth mindset or a growth aptitude. What do I mean by hiring someone who can be a stellar designer solving growth problems? I'm just going to pull out four of the attributes I look for uh, is just in terms of hiring someone who has a systematic approach, which basically means is able to take a growth problem and think about it like a businessman, act upon it like a scientist and solve it like a designer. So are you able to think in terms of hypotheses and then set up your experiments to prove or disprove your hypotheses? The second acumen or mindset that's really important for someone on a growth team is your ability to be data informed, which is a blend of qualitative and quantitative insights. I will stay away from saying data driven because that quickly falls into being heavily reliant on metrics and not understanding the customer motivation. The third would be the ability to learn and resilience here is really important because for those of us who come from design backgrounds where we are attached to our design solutions, it becomes very difficult for us to accept when our test is failing. With my roots in graphic design, I am guilty of this myself. I've worked with visual designers, I've had to coach them, where you come up with a vision, you come up with an idea, and then you let go of it. You test into it, you iterate, and then you see what results you get back. And then the last but not the least, one that is very close to my heart, is on growth teams, we have to find that balance between the winning solution for revenue and subscriber numbers in a way that we are not jeopardizing what is in the best interest of our customer. Oftentimes, I've been in situations where I have to negotiate with my PMs on not making the cancellation flow more difficult, on not creating UI dark patterns, because we as design leaders are very responsible for the ethical decisions our design teams make in terms of solving the growth problem. I would say any product team, any business out there should be responsible for this. And last but not the least, um, another question that comes up is, so is a growth team structured in a unique way than other teams? The, the most effective way I can share with you all is structuring growth teams in terms of areas of impact as opposed to geography or feature sets because growth teams do need to be very nimble and flexible. Right now we are in the pandemic, the solutions that the growth team need to come up with need to realign with what the world needs right now, really connecting back to Zoe's conversation this morning. So here's an example how Pinterest at one point in time set up their growth teams, and then similarly how Netflix set up their growth teams. Each of these teams will still have your quintessential cross-functional expertise, but all of them are highly aligned for the, around the growth vision, but the way in which they solve the growth problems is where they are loosely coupled. So just recapping, we've looked at the history of growth, sorry, product-led growth from 2009 up until now. We've looked at the way in which a human-centered approach to design can solve growth problems, and then few of the levers for sustained growth. One might wonder, so what next? The current trends and the global situation that are shaping our businesses and growth are pretty complex. The last time I gave this talk, I think was in November. And even now with the remoteness and with us having to redefine our lifestyles, I can only imagine how complex it's gonna become for businesses to find growth and find success. 
there are many growth models out there from advertising, subscription, transactional to freemium. And it's my belief based on some research that the subscription model is really where we might find the most uh, bang for our bucks in terms of how we build relationship with our customers. I think Atlassian, Airtasker, Canva, some of the businesses in Australia are already experimenting with some of these growth ideas. And I do believe that in order for us to connect the value of the product to the customers, design and a customer-centric approach to design is gonna be the key differentiator. Growth teams in many of these monetization models are going to need to co-create the business value with the customers and in a subscription economy, you're able to do that because your customer is willing to pay ahead of time. And that is when a human-centered design is uniquely positioned in order to be a core competency, competency with businesses because we are able to get to the bottom of the why and the motivation for the customers. With that, I will leave you with the question that has brought me to continue leading uh, by design, for design, and Zoe's talk this morning, again, feels like the bookend to what I have to share here, that if we, all of us in the audience, were to ask ourselves, what is the core purpose of doing any business? And I'd like to share this quote by Sadhguru, who's India's 50 most influential person today. And there is only one business, only one business in this world, which is a human well-being. All the other subsidiaries are uh, kind of working around to be towing around this core tenor. So with that, I leave all of us to continue in our effort to keep growth good. Thank you very much. And my apologies for rushing away with this talk. Thank you Thank very you. much, Chaitana. Thank you.